it's great to be back with you this week. Uh, for those of you who've been around the last couple of weeks, I have not. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we had the privilege, my family and I had the privilege of worshiping with our, our sister church on the North Shore, the harbor, and um, having a great time of fellowship. It was also Neil Hubacher, the founding pastor and the pastor over the last seven or eight years. Is it seven or eight years old, John, the harbor? Yeah, eight or nine now. The pastor, lead pastor all those years, he stepped down um, last week. That was his last Sunday. One encouraging report about that transition is that uh, one of the values that we have uh, as a movement is honoring transitions. We, we, see, we see brothers and sisters in the Lord as brothers and sisters in the Lord, no matter where they are staying or leaving or going to. We especially take great pride and you'll see this over the course of time if you fellowship with us for any amount of time. We make it a special point to send people out with blessing. We, we, we want what's deposited, what, whatever good that has been deposited in a person's life here, we see people going as an extension of, of our family. And uh, we believe that as people go out and move to different parts of the country or enter into different fields and, and sometimes even entering into different churches, if we've walked healthily together and we've walked in blessing and we have, have, have done our job as believers, we should be able to lay hands on one another and send out in blessing and also receive a blessing in being sent out. And so the same is true for Neil. We, we, are, we love this family. They are going to continue to be a part of our family and no matter where they end up. But the church was able to raise $30,000 to uh, help them uh, overcome some debt that they had accrued in their life. And just, isn't that a blessing? Isn't it a blessing when the body of Christ is able to do that? So we're so thankful for, for that ex- extravagant offering by the harbor primarily, but also people from around the country. Last week, uh, uh, as a family of seven, I have five kids, and two of my children are college age, and working. And so last weekend was the only four days in the whole summer that we were going to all be together. So I took executive privilege and left town and camped with my family in Maine. And that was a wonderful time and experience with them. We're doing something a little bit different this morning. Uh, the, the message this morning, uh, the primary message was supposed to be preached by John Prickett, and he will be getting up and sharing a word this morning, depending on how long I go. Um, but in staff this week, as we were, were gathered together, actually John initiated the conversation to say, hey, I really think that we, meet, we need to be attentive to what's happened in our country and take some time as a family to reflect and to ponder and to put ourselves before the Lord to say, God, uh, and, I, and not to say that you haven't already been doing that, but as a family to come together and maybe do that together. Um, it's been a tough week. It's been a soul-searching time for our nation. Two black men shot by white police officers with what seems as unjust racial profiling as their motivation. Horrific retaliation by a black man whose intent was to kill white police officers. 
and that tragedy in the midst of a peaceful um, demonstration by Black Lives Matter. Black, Black, Black Lives Matter. It, is, it has crippled our nation. In a bad way, but I'm hopeful in a good way as well. We've seen a flood of vengeance that has been released, revealed by these actions, but also responses of people on social media. If you've gotten on social media, you've seen just the torrent of ugliness and anger. And, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. The, the underbelly of our society is being revealed over and over again in this season of, of tragedy. I approached one black friend of mine this week, and I said, how are you doing? And he was very vulnerable in how he was doing. He said, it's been a hard week. And um, he said, you know, this has been going on a long time. It's just that we have had events, and, you know, we've had lots of events, ladies and gentlemen, over the last couple of years that should have crippled us brought us to our knees, but for some reason this back-and-forth retaliation has done something differently than Ferguson should have, that New York City should have, that South Carolina should have, that Florida should have. He says, um, it's been a hard week, but I thought his words, uh, I appreciated his thoughtfulness and his words of instruction to me as a white man. He said, I, I pray that this will be a time where we, it humbles us to not just pray, but to push towards real justice. He said, we're at a crossroads. Whether we are going to choose justice as a church and lead out as a church with justice, or are we going to permit vengeance and judgment to rule our land? I would say we have to choose if we're going to turn to love and listening, genuinely listening about pain, about injustice that different ones of us experience, or we're going to turn towards hate and shouting and shooting. Will we let this humble us to turn to God and see our own sins and We have sins, every one of us in this room, in this area. Sins of commission, things we actually say and do that if we were to say them in the presence, if we were to be aware in the presence of Jesus, what we were saying or thinking, with one glance of his look upon us, we would repent of our ugliness. But not just sins of commission, but sins of omission, where we have stood back and stayed seated as our brothers and sisters have been unfairly accused, judged, not listened to. We have all kinds of emotions. We have fear. Some of you in your own social posts that I read this week communicated fear. Fear for your lives, fear for the raising of your children's lives, 
And that's understandable. We have grief. There should be mourning in our hearts. We have judgment that God wants to address. We have shame for our judgment that God wants to release us from. We have all kinds of things, self-righteousness, hopelessness. Where do we go? In Thursday's speech on the shooting of Alton Sterling from Baton Rouge and Philando Castile in Minnesota, President Obama addressed the nation. This was prior to the Dallas shootings. And he said this. He said, when people say black lives matter, that doesn't mean blue lives don't matter. It just means all lives matter. This isn't a matter of comparing the value of lives. But that was very appropriate from our president. And I would, I would follow up that by saying, and I would add, it, it's a matter of valuing all lives. Every life values to God. So, Jesus is still on his throne. Amen? He's still in control. This is a human condition that we're seeing. It's not just an American condition. It's an international condition. It is a condition that doesn't just fall along race lines, but it falls along sexual identity lines. It falls along economic lines. It falls along national border lines. It falls along generational lines. It's inherently in us, the ugly side of what we're seeing, and it's called sin. And that's what Jesus came to help us with. He reconciled this problem on the cross. Remember what he said when he died? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We have a condition, and it needs reconciling through the work of Christ. Remember a couple weeks ago when I shared out of Luke 4, Jesus prophesied this work of the kingdom, this work that he is wanting to establish today in the United States, in this issue, among hundreds if not thousands of these same kind of issues throughout the world that are happening. I think for some of our international brothers and sisters, uh, there is pain, I would assume, from talking to you of living here among this situation and how it impacts you. And then also there is, come on, America. This is happening in Africa. This is happening in Europe. This is happening in Asia. This is happening all over the world. We need to be attentive as believers in our intercession, in our awareness, in our thoughts, that we are about justice and reconciliation throughout the world. But it starts here in our church, and it starts here in our community, and it spreads from there. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He took prejudice, he took judgment, he took injustice, and he died for it. 
and he broke the power of it at the cross. But the only way the power of it at the cross applies in this situation is if we live out reconciliation in our lives. He did it, but if we don't do it, then it just stays there at the cross. So, there's a pastor that I am actually going to transition to. He wrote an email to our movement this week that I'm going to borrow almost verbatim much of what he said to conclude what I'm going to share. He, his name is Chris Rattay, and he uh, is the pastor of an epicenter church, a sister church in our movement in Los Angeles. He's spent 15 years ministering as a white man in a non-white context. He's pioneered an African-American ministry. He's married to a, an, uh, he's got an Asian wife, and he's, he and his wife pioneered an African-American ministry. They pastored an Asian-American church, and now they live and are pioneering a church plant in a primarily Latino community. He had these thoughts to share with us over his years of experience. First, he said, race culture, and ethnicity is biblical and reflects a part of God's image for us. Genesis 1 through 11 help us see that every part of us is what made in the image of God. So whatever race or nation or sex or part of our godly creation that God has given us, that reflects the image of God, and when we gather together, we more fully reflect the image of God. So therefore, when we are divided, we, we reflect poorly the image of God, or poorer, or more dimly the image of God. So you can see how the enemy would want to divide instead of allow us to reconcile. Some people think, this is Chris speaking, some people think their ethnicity is more godly, and some think it is more broken. We can never have reconciliation until all sides acknowledge the ways in which they are both. And how are they both? That within our culture or our makeup, we, are, we bear God's image, but we also, since the fall, bear brokenness. Every culture, every person has the image of God in them, and there's a brokenness that God is redeeming. And we need to be aware of, and okay with both of those because both of those either are from God or God is reconciling and making like himself. Number two, kingdom culture doesn't ignore racial culture. There is Galatians 3.28 says this, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, some people have said to me, hey, brother, I don't see race. Paul says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. And his response is, in the same verse, he says there's neither male nor female. Would it feel comfortable if I interacted with the women in your church as if I didn't see their gender? We have a very developed theology of male and female. We need the same for race, especially in these times. Paul is referring to bias in this passage of Scripture. He's referring to prejudice. He's referring to partiality. He is not ignoring ethnicity. In fact, in Acts 17, he helps us see that God creates the nations uniquely. He goes on to say, So as a white man of European descent growing up in the U.S., I have a worldview and a culture that both reflects the image of God and is distorted. We can't step into reconciliation if we are unsure of who we are. 
and how that affects the process. We can't step into reconciliation if we feel guilty or defensive or clueless. We need to shore up both sides of the coin that we are uniquely made in God's image and that we have sin in our culture. Grace is there to help us in both. Number four, race and culture. And we sang about this in the worship. Thank you, Tabby, for picking your songs and picking this one. But race and culture are in heaven. So reconciliation means embracing differences, not ignoring them. What does Revelation 7 say? After this, I saw a vast crowd. This is heaven. Too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, which symbolizes righteousness and redemption, and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne. And from the Lamb. This verse tells us that we, we, we will still look like our races. We will still be like our cultures when we are in heaven. Our diversity of how he has created us will be forever represented in heaven. Therefore, we need to embrace how God has created us. He goes on and says, one of my favorite verses about heaven is Revelation 21, 26. People will bring into heaven the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it. So there it is, right? Everything that is uniquely birthed in us by the image of God, every aspect, every color, every emotion, feeling, gift, perception, reality that is good, we will bring into heaven collectively and it will bring glory to God. And everything that is broken about us will not be there. The redeemed glory of our image-bearing creation will stand before God shouting glory and praise to the salvation we find in Jesus. And God, it says, will receive glory and honor when the nations, the ethnicities, the cultures surround the throne. Ah, that's why, that's why Brendan said, look around this morning, because how beautiful is it that I think a really good, good representation of heaven is in this room today, in glory and honor. In praise are his. We don't try to ignore differences to make unity. We don't try to hide or ignore differences to bring unity. We embrace differences as we work towards unity. We unify around the mission of God. We unify around the sanctification that's needed in people. We unify around rejecting this world's kingdom viewpoint value. And we embrace Christ, humble, servant-hearted, others-focused, others-embracing, and at the same time, self-confidence and love-for-ourselves identity. And we love Jesus. This is a long journey of reconciliation. It needs tons of grace and endurance. But it's not a fringe, in, it's not a fringe issue. It's not a this week issue.
It's the main deal. It's thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in Revelation 7, Revelations 10, heaven. This is the journey. And he has a word to his white brothers and sisters. Chris says this. He said, work through the problem of white privilege in your life. I used to get defensive when this came up. This is Chris speaking, mostly because I saw how much I struggled to make it in America. But then I lived in a black community for years, and now I live in a Latino community. Brothers, white privilege is real. This is what the Black Lives Matters camp is trying to help us see. I have been absolutely shocked at the hundreds of stories I've heard from Christian non-white men and women of their journeys. White men will generally be trusted to lead more than non-white men or women in general in any situation. I've never been followed in a store. I've never been questioned when I fumble for my keys to open my car. I live... I lived in southern Mexico for a year, and I experienced what it's like to be on the negative side of privilege. We can either get defensive about it, or we can acknowledge it and use our privilege to help bring justice to non-white people. We have got to allow the divisive wall of the devil be broken so that we can listen and we can heal and we can walk together. You cannot find victory in pointing a finger at the other side of your ethnicity and your race. It will not win the day. That's vengeance. That's judgment. That's retaliation. That's pride. That's arrogance. Yes, white leaders and people make mistakes. Yes, black, whatever color people make mistakes in how they approach. We're emotional. We're wounded at times. We're having to process our fear, our wounds, or whatever. But if we allow judgment and separation and and fear to keep us from moving towards reconciliation, the devil is one. And who else is going to do it but the church? There's no, there's no road map for somebody who doesn't have Christ who has said, this is why I've come to bring reconciliation. This is the power I give you that I've shown you by living on this earth. This is what I want to happen because you're going to be living with each other for heaven, for eternity. It's got to happen now. But we have to lead the way. We sat in our, in our staff meeting. And we realized how far we are from it as white men in that room leading in this. And we are humbled and broken and at the beginning stages of figuring out what does it look like to be active in seeing this change in our community so that we can reflect God's community to another community and another community. In another community. That's how transformation takes place. Finally, my thoughts. 
Let's move towards God. Let's move towards God this morning. I don't know what you bring into the room. I don't know with what I've shared if I have convict if the spirit of God has convicted you or if you're just getting more angry. I don't know if your experience in freedom or if fear is still resting on you. I don't know where you are, but I, I know that I'm not the answer, but God can answer you. But he can't answer you unless you humble yourself before God. He can't answer you if you're sitting there going, yeah, I hope that person over there gets this. I've got it all shored up, Pastor. I, I, that other group of people, if they'll just hear you, then we'll be okay. Now listen, you laugh, but that is what happens in us. That's how this all starts. That group of people needs to get it. That person needs to get it. No. I need to get it. God, I need to get it. I need to get it. Lord, I humble myself before you and say, God, I'm a blind, wretched, judgmental man. The commit sins of commission with my words and my thoughts and my action and commits lots of sins of omission in my apathy and in my busyness and in my lack of compassion for people who are going through pain. Let's move towards God. God, what's broken in me? What's broken in my culture? Move me to a place of repentance. Move me to a place of mourning. Lord, what's unique in me? What's valuable about me? Help me to embrace it. Secondly, let's move towards each other. Reconciliation means moving towards each other. Moving towards each other doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be clothed in Christ. Listen to Colossians 3. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves, or another version says, put on clothes, put on, with t- clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony or unity and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful do you hear reconciliation in that passage scripture it's a prescription for healing and what's the prescription start with you and I putting on Christ putting on love humility patience tenderheartedness forgiveness listening. Chris goes on to say, the biggest thing I've read and heard from others this week, oh wait, no, this is actually me. Sorry. I'm trying to figure out who's Chris and who's me in this. Losing my voices. Just, I want you to know I'm attentive to that because I want you to know when Chris is speaking. It's his words, but this, these are mine. Finally, you've heard a lot this week. Finally, a tragedy is causing us to talk about it. This has been going on in our country a long, long time since the beginning. And sadly, the church has not only not helped, 
but the church has been in the middle of promoting sins of segregation, of judgment, of pride, of injustice. So church, we need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness from one another and to God. And we need to start standing shoulder to shoulder. This is Chris. He goes on to say, we are so afraid of saying the wrong thing in these times of interaction with one another because we don't want to be accused of racism or being insensitive. But we need to repent of our fear of that, and we just need to jump in to conversation. In general, when anger comes up from another ethnicity than us, we either get quickly defensive or we try to shut it down and try to avoid or deflect and get out of the conversation. His encouragement is we need to be courageous. We need to humbly listen in the way that Christ would. We need to listen, ask more questions, acknowledge pain, and move towards honest dialogue. Ask your question. Share your heart. Keep affirming that you want to grow, you want to heal, and that you are all in for friendship. Be humble listeners, secure in who God made you to be as you share your heart. And if you make a mistake, which you will in the conversation, apologize and get right back into the game. He says, when someone tells me after a discussion what you said hurt, was hurtful and felt racist to me, he said, my response is this. Oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. I am broken, and I'm doing my best to grow in this area. Please forgive me, and will you explain more of what you're feeling so I can better be a friend to you? I want you to know my heart is totally committed to friendship with you and to this journey. Do you hear that? And what does the other person need to do if they really want reconciliation? They need to say, Chris, I forgive you. I don't want to judge you or pull away. I want to press into. So we make all kinds of mistakes in relationship when we're pressing forward. Anybody remember the first time you asked that special someone out on a date? How perfect were you? I was absolutely imperfect. I remember taking Laura to a restaurant, and I realized after an hour I had not eaten anything. And she was giggling the whole way. And I said, what are you giggling about? She says, you're not eating. I said, I know, I'm nervous. I really like you, and I don't know what to say. (laughs) That's how we are with one another. We don't know what to say, especially in these tense conversations. It means so much. But if we don't talk, we're not ever going to be friends. Really. We'll sit by each other. We'll talk about kind things about each other, but we won't be friends. Friends listen. Friends offend and forgive. And friends go for it to get deep. We need grace, and we need to move on. All right. So, Tabby, come on up. Band, come on up. I want us to respond here. Do you have anything you wanted to share? I think it would be very appropriate to do two things. I think it would be very appropriate for you in your own way to humble yourself before the Lord as the worship team plays and to ask the Lord If you need to ask, you might already know. Lord, how am I blinded to my sin in this area? And repent. 
What does God say about repentance for those of you who walk in shame or judgment and condemnation of repentance? Repentance should not bring shame or condemnation. Acts 3 says, pray that times of repentance, that repentance would come. Pray, pray that you would find repentance so that times of refreshing would come. Through repentance, God wants to bring refreshing. He wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to bring life. So I think it would be honoring to God for us to humble ourselves and say, God, what is in me? I anticipate that that might in turn prompt some of you to go towards one another. Either maybe for specific things that you need to repent of, Remember, when you repent, you don't repent for somebody else's sin. Can I tell you what that looks like? Hey, I just want to forgive you that you did this to me. That's not repentance. Repentance is you owning your sin. Oh, but my sin was not forgiving. Well, let them repent to you so that you can say, hey, I'm sorry for not forgiving. You should go ahead and forgive even if they don't repent. Repentance is, I feel like I've really wronged you. I've judged you. I've distanced myself from you. I have made assumptions about you without even really knowing you. So it might be that you have a specific person to go to, but after a couple minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to turn towards each other and we're going to pray for one another and pray together for what we just talked about. You don't have to pray in that group. You're like, oh, no, i got to get out of here before that happens. Well, it's really early in the service. We're not giving your kids back. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to pray. You don't have to repent. You don't have to go to anybody. Just let the Spirit of God lead you. And if you just sit there and listen, God will speak to you. God will do something. Amen? The, the, the altar, the open spaces are open if you need to get out of your chair to put your body in a position of humility. You don't have to do that. I do that all the time because God says I need a lot of extra help to be humble. Do whatever you need to do to respond to God. Let's take a few minutes as the worship team leads.